Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. Today, we'll find out if those hand pies made with einkorn flour satisfied our pie cravings and whether I found the Yorkshire rhubarb forced by candlelight to fill my pies. In a nod to St. Patrick's Day, we'll introduce a soda bread with a twist. It's made with emmer flour. And finally, we'll talk about which flowers might be most prevalent on your market shelves, depending on where you hang your hat. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. And since we're always talking about how we might celebrate, I thought we would take a look back at what some of our listeners have baked up in the past for St. Patrick's Day. Previously on Preheated. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Listener Maggie makes the chocolate Guinness cake. Now, that was the one we did from Nigella back on episode 151. Oh, what a cake. Yeah. What a cake. What a cake. Yeah. Listener Renee makes a key lime pie for a friend who has a St. Patrick's Day birthday. That's a perfect green birthday treat. I know. I love that idea. And listeners, if you are a key lime fan, you might not know that Stefan has a recipe that she's created Mm -hmm. for her favorite key lime pie, and that is on the recipes tab on our website, preheatedpodcast.com. It is. And Andrea, we have so many pies that we've done over the years. We have put together a handy dandy little perfect pies PDF. Oh my gosh. How much do I love that? (laughs) Lots of peas. (laughs) A perfect pies PDF. And we will link to that in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 168. So not only is the key lime pie mentioned there, but you know, Andrea, almost I think coming up on a dozen and a half, almost two dozen, 20 pies we've done over the years. It's quite a lot. Yeah, we are nothing if not fond of pie. Well, speaking of other celebrations going on this week, of course, my favorite, Mothering Sunday, is this Sunday in the UK. That is March 22nd. Are you continuing your tradition of celebrating Mothering Sunday in the UK and then also Mm -hmm. celebrating the U.S. holiday of Mother's Day in May? I mean, (laughs) it sounds so greedy to say yes, but yes. Um, (laughs) I don't know. Two days out of 365, that is not classified as greedy. How true. It should be more. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You know, the thing that I really have come to love is March is, you know, one of those kind of shoulder seasons for me that it's the end of winter, but spring really hasn't started. And I could really use a nice holiday. So I really applaud whoever decided to put Mothering <laughs> Sunday at the end of March because it's really when I need a boost. It was probably a mother, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, wise woman indeed. And you know what I might ask my family for, Andrea? Mm. For dessert. I have some guesses, but maybe I should just let you tell me. Otherwise, I'd be going through a long list of all your favorites. Apropos of nothing, on the way home from school today, my son said, Mom, remember that peanut butter and jelly cake you made? Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the peanut butter and jelly poke cake. From episode 142. Yes. I 
just I almost ran home and started making it I remembered how much we loved that cake it was from an Australian food blog yes it was a huge hit during our birthday month I think that's when we were making it yeah I might have certain someone's whip that one up for me coming up on Sunday stay tuned Maybe I'll start my own little tradition here in the States and celebrate as well because I remember that cake and I loved it because it was a one-layer cake. Yeah. Super easy. My husband loves peanut butter and jelly. So that might be a fun one to make too. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks to your son for that great suggestion. Absolutely. And I hope that you will take another opportunity to celebrate yourself also. Oh, sure. (laughs) Why not? This, this This day or any other, my friend. Up this week is our Einkorn apple hand pies. This recipe came from the Jovial website, and Jovial Foods is a flour company, and I did get my einkorn flour from them. Oh, great. So I'm using their flour, and I'm using their recipe. The pie dough, it's got three cups of the einkorn flour, some sugar, some baking powder, some salt, a little zest of a lemon, a stick and a half of butter, or 170 grams, and then three eggs and two teaspoons of water. Stefan, did you run into any problems making the pie dough or did you notice a difference using the einkorn flour as opposed to your regular pie crust recipe that might use whole wheat flour or regular all-purpose flour? Yeah, and that's a really good point on that very first ingredient. I want to clarify that my einkorn was a English wholemeal organic. And The recipe says, you know, you can use the all-purpose icorn or you can use the whole grain icorn. I would like to know what you were using before we go any further. I use the all-purpose icorn. Okay. I wonder if we may have some differing reviews here. This is going to be fascinating. The recipe itself was very straightforward. I thought the pastry came together really nicely. It has the two eggs and the one egg yolk as well. So this is a really rich dough. I was a little nervous because there's very little liquid, as in water, which is something, you know, that I would use in my traditional pie crust. There's only two teaspoons of water here, but that egg really acts as the binder. It was very smooth, very easy to work with. So as far as the putting together of the pie dough went, I had no problems. As we talked about last week, I decided to make one big pie because the Yorkshire rhubarb is still in season here in the UK, and I cannot pass up an opportunity to put that into a pie. So in step five, where it says to divide the dough into four pieces, instead I divided mine into two discs and then refrigerated them. It says one hour up to one day. I probably maybe two hours. So while I was getting everything prepped for the rhubarb, plus a little extra. Okay. Now, Andrea, how about you? Were you using the all-purpose or the whole grain? I used the all-purpose flour. I, too, was a little hesitant when I saw that it had three eggs in it. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But only two teaspoons of water. So I thought, okay, that sort of balances it out. And I went back and looked at my notes. I don't remember if I've discussed this, but back in December, I took a class called Holiday Baking with Ancient Grains. Yeah. And Christine Chianchetta taught it here in Olympia. She's in charge of our Olympia Slow Food chapter. Okay. We baked a honey-sweetened einkorn fruit cake. And I'm looking at my notes on that recipe, and I had written down, you must use extra fat when using einkorn. Extra fat and alcohol because of this type of flour. (laughs) Extra fat and alcohol. Yeah. Alcohol in this case, I think, as opposed to water, right? That was the the liquid liquid. ingredient in that particular recipe. 
But that made me feel a little bit better about using these, you know, three eggs or two and a half eggs and two teaspoons of water. I did mix everything together. I didn't use my food processor. I was proud of myself. I just did it in the bowl um, because I really wanted to see how it felt. Yeah. And when I got to the end of step four and it said knead it until the flour is absorbed and the dough is smooth. Mm -hmm. I did not feel that all the flour was absorbed. Okay. It was still, you know, some big chalky that I wasn't able to incorporate. And so I added two more teaspoons of water. Okay. Because I felt my crust was too sandy. And that was perfect. I mean, that turned it into a nice ball. It was pretty sticky. Yeah. I wrapped it up into the four pieces and put them in the fridge. Now it said one hour. And like you, I did a bit longer. I think I had mine in there for two to three hours. And my thinking on that was... From my friends who work with gluten-free doughs, I know one of the things they've often said is how sticky it is. Okay. The grains need longer to absorb the water. So I just thought extra chilling is not going to hurt here. I also weighed my dough just so I kind of knew when I was splitting it into four pieces. So I ended up with 670 grams of dough, just in, in case anyone cares. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Well, you know, I care. I wish that I would have thought to do that because... Uh, since I used the whole meal, I wonder how heavy mine was. Oh, that would have been interesting. It would have, it would yeah. have been interesting. Rolling this out was fine after I had chilled. I did it in one a standard pie tin, 12 inches, whatever that is. Put in my filling. I had the delicious rhubarb. And I just followed a fairly standard. It's not even really a recipe. It's just sugar to taste. Maybe some vanilla. I put some pieces of butter on top. Yeah. I decided to do a lattice top because the rhubarb is so gorgeous. It is. I think I sent you like 25 pictures that day. I was like, here's the rhubarb being chopped. Here's the rhubarb in the tin but not cooked. Here's the rhubarb cooked. <laughs> I was on a roll. And can I tell you, I was so excited by all of your pictures that I rushed to my co-op, even though I knew oh. our rhubarb wasn't in season yet here oh. in the Pacific Northwest. I thought maybe, oh. maybe there is some. Uh, there wasn't, but your pictures were so gorgeous. Oh. That rhubarb was so beautiful. Thank you. I have a quick question about your filling, though. Did you add any thickener? Because the recipe doesn't have any, and that's something that I found very unusual. I've not had a lot of experience with apple pies, which is what this recipe is. But, yeah. you know, certainly with any of the fruit pies and also with things like pear pies, you usually have a thickener. Yeah, and I used about a half a cup of corn flour. That's the thickener that I like that I have on hand. So what I do is I just whisk that together with my sugar and maybe a pinch of salt and then put that on the fruit. I think, was it last episode when we were introducing this, I think you had mentioned that the einkorn flour absorbs moisture much slower than maybe just an all-purpose flour. Am I remembering that correctly? You are. And that is why I decided to wait longer on my chilling time, too, because I thought okay. the you know, it's going to be easier to roll out. I think it's going to be less sticky the longer it sits and absorbs that liquid. So did you put thickener in with your pears then? I did, but not initially. I decided to follow okay. the recipe other than, you know, I took the raisins out. <laughs> I did mix the pears. Now, one my one little quibble with this recipe is it just says you know, four tart apples with skin on. It doesn't give you a weight. Yeah. And, you know, pears can be small to huge. Yep. So I used a mixture of pears. I used that um, star crimson, that beautiful red pear we have. I used a Bartlett pear and a Danju pear. Oh, yeah. And I think one other. So I had four different pears, and they weighed about 700 grams total. So I did that with the water, the honey, the cinnamon, the nutmeg. 
And I followed the recipe to, you know, cook it uncovered for five minutes. And then it said it should start to stick and caramelize, not burn, set aside to cool. Well, mine was soup at that point. I mean, as in a thin liquid broth soup. So I added in two tablespoons of the flour and I whisked that in there and let it sit for about another 10 minutes and then it thickened right up. Okay, okay. I definitely recommend that you add some some flour in with your thickener, whatever you're doing, pears or rhubarb or apples. I just feel like it needs a little something. Yeah, I think that's just a good practice when you're doing a fruit pie. We always do that with tapioca or with corn flour or something like that. Yeah. So assembly on mine was really straightforward, Andrea, obviously rhubarb into pie-lined dish, lattice on top, and I did a chunky lattice, which you taught me and which I really love. Baked that. I think I did 350, 175 Celsius um, for, you know, 50 minutes, gave it a check, and then it's always the thump, thump, sizzle, sizzle, and wait till you hear that. The juices are thumping and bubbling (laughs) so nicely, and you know it's done. One thing I will say is because I was using a wholemeal flour, it was already brown to begin with. Yes. It was more tricky to tell if it was getting golden or if it was just that color to start with. I guess maybe you didn't have that problem since you were using an all-purpose. I didn't have that problem, although I do think the einkorn has a little more brownness just in its regular character than regular all-purpose flour. Okay. My assembly process was a little bit more complicated just because I went with the hand pies. Yeah. But the dough rolled out beautifully. It did not stick at all. Yes. This was a new method for me rolling the dough between two sheets of parchment. I've seen other people do that when they were doing gluten-free doughs. So I I knew that that was to keep it from sticking. Yeah. And I thought it worked out really well. So I'm going to keep that little trick in my toolbox because it was kind of nice not to have the dough all over everything and just right between those two sheets of parchment. Sure. Yeah, nice. I used my wide mouth ball jar lids as my cutter. So it says a four inch dough ring cutter. I don't have a four inch dough ring cutter, but that was as close as I could get. And that worked out great. On my first batch, which was six of the hand pies, I forgot to brush the reserved egg white on top. So I still could tell though, as they were getting done. And I was at a 375 degree oven. It says 25 to 28 minutes. I checked it at 25. And I decided they were done then. It's kind of hard to tell with hand pies, but they looked done. There was steam coming out of my little vent holes. And I just decided it was probably a good time to pull them. I didn't want them to burn. Okay. Yes. I would like to give Jovial a shout out for not wasting that egg white. They did it so clearly. They said, three eggs, you're going to use two and a half, and then save that egg white. And then you've got your egg wash already. I love that. I so appreciate things like that. I know. I did too. The other thing I appreciate, and this is not typical for me, a lot of times I will taste my pie dough just to make sure it's fine. But yeah, I never get super excited by it. It's just raw dough. This raw einkorn pie dough was some of the best stuff I've ever tasted. Wow. I think that That lemon zest was really a nice kick. I think the lemon zest, my regular pie crust recipe does not have sugar in it. This did. So, you know, the sugar and the lemon zest and then all the richness from the eggs. Oh, okay. And then that einkorn flour. It just was so good. So this was one of those recipes normally kind of re-rolling the scraps and doing all that kind of annoys me. And sometimes I have leftovers and I can't figure out what to do with them. I did not waste a bit of this. I either ate it raw or I cooked up the scraps and made little, you know, pie tasties. And it was just so good. Yeah, it was almost more like a short 
bread or short yes like a short crust I agree like a short crust because of the egg and the butter I mean it was very rich in that regard yeah now this is a keeper crust for sure well, I have to say that I had a different experience with the whole meal einkorn. Oh. It's the one I could find here, so that's what I used. And the recipe did say, you know, either one. Mm-hmm. I think the problem is it was too hearty of a yes. wheat. Yeah. Hearty is not what I want in a pie crust, right? I want light and flaky. Mm-hmm. It was just tough and too rustic. I will say it was flavorful. Like you said, it was rich. It had the nice lemon zest. I really do like that. But at the end of the day, it just wasn't right in my mind for what I want my pie crust to be. The word leaden is coming to mind. (laughs) It was heavy. You're exactly right. It was just heavy. Mm. I will say I have experimented. I think I mentioned last episode, my husband had stolen some and made pancakes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That was great. And then I experimented and I put some in my banana bread, my chocolate banana bread you okay. guys have heard me talk about. Yeah. And that worked great too. So while I may not be turning to einkorn, at least the whole meal einkorn, for pastry crust, I think it's great as a substitute for whole meal. I think it has a heartier flavor, a little bit, I don't know, healthier taste somehow than just plain whole meal. I like it in that, but as far as a pie crust, I'm going to source out the all-purpose einkorn. Well, and I think that's a really good point, Stefan. I do not make any of my pie crust with 100% whole wheat. Yes. that It would just be too much in my mind. So yeah, it's not surprising, I think, that maybe you had that experience with einkorn. And that's the whole point of us doing this flower month is so we could experiment and try different flowers. And so now you know, okay, I'm going to use einkorn when it asks for a whole meal. If you're getting the whole meal type you know, maybe use it as a percentage of the overall flour and not 100%. That's exactly right. And I think when we introduced this, you had the great comment. You're like, this might be one you want to experiment with. And (laughs) I thought that was so perfect because then I did. And guess what? I like it in other applications. So I'm not ruling out this flour. I'm just saying wholemeal pie crust, not for me. Well, and I should comment on my final review of the pie. I've raved about the crust. The filling was equally as good. It was fairly simple. You know, pears and sugar when it comes down to it, or pears and honey. Both my husband and my daughter really liked it. My daughter commented on the cinnamon and um, how much she liked that. So that flavor really came through. Mm, Okay. So I put, you know, three stars next to their names. Next to my name, I put okay. I put, you know, five stars next to the crust and okay next to the filling. Just again, that's just my personal preference. Although we did make that fresh pear pie back in season three, Mm. was it? Where I gave it my season three blue ribbon. You did, yeah. Yeah. Season three blue ribbon for you. I do know there's a pear pie that can make my heart sing. I'm not sure it was this one. But I tell you, this crust, I am definitely going to work into my rotation because it was fabulous. Oh, that's so fantastic. Well, let's hope that this week's Bake Along brings us equal or more joy. And we are moving on to our next ancient alternative grain I don't know I guess we'll find out in a moment if it's ancient our next alternative flower (laughs) and that is emmer flour we are going to make up an emmer flour soda bread of course St. Patrick's Day this week this actually comes from the Doves Farm folks and the recipe developer's name is Claire Marriage could you come up with a better name Claire Marriage, I love that name. I love that name too. And I was wondering <laughs> if that's how you pronounced her last name. I mean, it's 
you know, I'm assuming so. Oh, I mean, I hope so. Yeah, good point. Now, Stefan, were you aware that she is actually the CEO of Mm. Dove's Farm? Yeah, yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah. Pretty cool. Love that. So high hopes for this. Looks really, I mean, soda breads in general, very straightforward. We are going to be using this emmer flour. And Andrea, I think you're going to fill us in on exactly what that is. I am. I am getting my emmer flour from a company here in Winthrop, Washington. It's called the Bluebird Grain Farms. And just like Dove Farms, it looks like just a fascinating company that's really into flour. Yeah. I don't have a dramatic reading, as one one might say, but <laughs> I do have some facts from my emmer flour bag that I want to read to you. Okay. Okay. Yeah, great. Emmer, trictacum Dicocum is an ancient wheat commonly known as farro in Europe. It is a simple grain of 28 chromosomes dating back 17,000 years to the beginning of agriculture in the fertile crescent region of Mesopotamia. It is the mother grain of modern Durham wheats. It predates both spelt and kumut. I thought that was fascinating. I mean, this is the most ancient of the ancient grains, it seems. I would love to give us props for choosing the mother of modern wheat (laughs) and the mothering Sunday week. Well done. Oh my gosh. It's almost like we planned it. The other thing I wanted to say about this company that I thought was so fascinating, this Bluebird Grain Company, and why I'm so excited to have them here in Washington State. Stefan, we've talked about our love for farm-to-table foods and companies. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In our episode on chocolate, we talked about discovering these small companies that do bean-to-bar chocolates. Yeah, right. Well, Bluebird Grain Company is a plow-to-package grain farm. Oh. And again, that means they do everything themselves. Yeah. Yeah. They grow the wheat. They process the wheat. They mill the wheat. You know, they do everything. Yes. So specifically on this emmer flour, one thing I thought was interesting is their emmer seed originally came from Rwanda out of the World Seed Bank over 30 years ago. Oh, wow. It is still grown in parts of Africa, North Italy, Turkey, and Germany. It's known for its high-protein fiber and trace minerals. Amazing. I did have to get mine via mail order. I had a little bit of trouble trying to track down some emmer flour here in town, Yeah, which surprised me. I, I was confident I had seen it before, but now I'm wondering... If I had seen einkorn and perhaps just gotten confused. I had the same situation. I went to Whole Foods, convinced I had seen it, and then had to get it online from Dove's Farm, which wasn't an issue. But still, mm-hmm. you know, the more people bake with these, the more demand for them. Hopefully we'll start seeing more. I know that in the short time that I've lived here in the UK, I've seen many more flowers hit the shelves than when I was first here. Hopefully that will be true of Emmer. Have you made things with Emmer before, Andrea? So in my holiday baking with ancient grains class, we had an emmer recipe, and it was for chocolate hazelnut emmer brownies. Oof. You know you know how I love my brownie. I'm remembering now that I think we had a challenge getting emmer, which now I understand why. Yeah. And I think we substituted the emmer. So I do think that baking the soda bread is going to be my personal first experience with emmer because that's the only other place I think I would have run across it. Well, in addition to the star ingredient of emmer flour, this is like soda breads. It is going to be a very, very quick bread. The ingredients are 250 grams of natural yogurt. Now, Andrea, I think we may have 
talked about that designation on the show before, but that is just more of a runny yogurt. You wouldn't want to use, say, a Greek yogurt here. Okay. I wondered what that meant. And I also thought that probably indicated you don't want a yogurt with fruits and mix-ins and like a gogurt or something. I mean, you just want, you know, a plain yogurt. Plain. Yeah, exactly. Unflavored without any other things going on in there. Yeah, good point. Mm-hmm. 200 mils of water, 450 grams of your emmer flour, two teaspoons of bicarb or baking soda, a pinch of salt, and a teaspoon of oil. I mean, that's pretty much it. There's no eggs. This is an eggless recipe. Oh, that's important for some people. So good to point that out. Yep. Wet ingredients into the dry, everything into the tin in about 45 to 55 minutes there. You can cover with foil if it's getting too brown and turning out into a wire rack. I love soda bread. Andrea, are you a soda bread fan? I was not a huge soda bread fan. It was always one of those things that I felt like I should like. And I would taste probably once a year when people would roll it out during St. Patrick's Day. I had a recent experience while I was reading a book that made me laugh. I was reading, I think, Patron of All Saints by Ann Patchett. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it described these young girls coming from Ireland over to Boston. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as really young girls. And they were talking about how once a year on St. Patrick's Day, everyone in Boston just went absolutely nuts celebrating. (laughs) And they would look around and go, this is so crazy. You know, there is no St. Patrick's Day in Ireland. They don't, they don't celebrate that. Or if they do, it's just sort of like, you know, raise a glass and say cheers and that's it. There's no parades. And they made a comment about how people go nuts over soda bread. And they said something along the lines of, you know, if you grew up poor like we did and soda bread was the only thing you got to eat for two meals a day for years and years and years, you mm. wouldn't be very fond of it. And that was oh, a yeah. little bit of my thought. I've always sort of experienced it as a bit dry and have thought, I'm not sure I would want this without it being slathered with butter. Mm-hmm. I am really curious to try this and see how it turns out and if it changes my opinion of soda bread a little bit. Given the holiday tomorrow, please treat yourself to some Kerrygold Irish butter to put on top of this. The perfect time, the perfect time to do that. Oh, sure. Yes. I am excited to have another soda bread recipe. I'm excited to try this flour. Remember, we will have all of the recipes that we've talked about today, the icorn hand pies or crust if you just want to try the crust. And today's Bake Along, the Emmer Flour Soda Bread that comes from Dove's Farm CEO, Claire Marriage. I just had to say that one more time. (laughs) We'll put all of those links in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 168, up on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as in our Facebook listeners group. Stefan, we've been dipping our toes into all types of flour this month, from einkorn to emmer to buckwheat and rye. But one thing we haven't touched upon yet is the difference in flours around the world from the actual flowers that are used to how they're classified and labeled. That's right. So let's start right here in my home. I bet you can guess the most popular flower and the classification system we use here in the U.S. Okay, let's see. I'll go with all-purpose as the most popular. Yes, you're right. And that's characterized by its use, which is cake, pastry, bread, and the protein content, which is required to show on the nutrition label. You got it. How about in your adopted home, the UK? In the UK, we go by both the color, white, brown, and the gluten content or strength. So plain, strong, extra strong, or words to that effect. What other differences have you noticed between the US and the UK flowers? 
One of the most noticeable differences is how many UK recipes prefer using self-rising flour instead of all-purpose or plain flour. It is nice to have that bit of baking powder and salt already added to my ingredients. Since we've talked quite a bit about the flours we use in both the US and the UK, let's go further afield. Okay, I'm ready for some adventure. Back in episode 125, you gave us a globetrotting gourmet report from India, and you mentioned several baked goods you enjoyed, from roti to naan to chapatis. If you want to make these Indian delicacies at home, you can purchase actual chapati flour, which is made of a combination of wheat and malted barley flour. But if you can't find that, you can also look for atta flour, which is a wholemeal wheat flour. Another type of flour very popular in Indian cooking is chickpea flour or garbanzo bean flour. Oh yes, you'll remember I used garbanzo bean flour in my attempt at the award-winning moist chocolate cake back in episode (laughs) 61.5. And you weren't thrilled with the results, if I recall correctly. That's right, but I'm going to try again. I know you love that particular cake. I do. In 2019, one of the new cookbooks I read was called Indian-ish, and it was by Priya Krishna. Oh, right. She has this really funny comment about how so many gluten intolerant people are heralding chickpea flour as a new discovery. And she says, I'm sorry to tell you, but Indian people have been using it for centuries. So true. Andrea, when you traveled in Italy, did you notice any specialty flowers? I've always been curious about the much heralded double zero flour from Italy. Many of my pizza recipes say you can't make a decent crust without it, and I've also seen it used in homemade pasta. Mm. It turns out that the double zero flour refers to the grading system, which is used in Italy. So it goes from two to one to zero or double zero, and it tells you how finely ground the flour is, with two being the coarsest and double zero the finest. So double zero flour is very soft, the finest milled, and it has a powdery type consistency. However, it still can have a protein content hovering around 8 to 12%. Which, as we know from last week's segment on flour science, means it has a medium amount of gluten and can make a nice, chewy pizza crust. Yum. Now, in France and Germany, every bag of flour is labeled with a number. And the higher the number, the more whole grain it contains. The numbers are based on the amount of residue that's left over after processing the flour in a 600 degree Celsius furnace. Whew. So in a bag of French T55 flour, which is best known for making croissants, the 55 refers to the amount of mineral content that is left over after burning the flour in that super hot oven. Mm. Germany has a similar system, but of course they use different numbers just to confuse us. So a bag of German 550 is equivalent to a French T55, (laughs) which is like a USA all-purpose, a UK plain flour, an Italian zero flower, and in the Netherlands, it's called a patent bloom. (laughs) Protein, color, strength, the amount of minerals or ash left after burning. It's no wonder recipes don't translate precisely across the world. No kidding. Well, moving from Europe over to Africa, let's talk about cassava flour. This flour, much of which comes from Nigeria, is made from the cassava plant, which is peeled, dried, and ground. It's exploded in the marketplace because of the food trends I know you'll recognize. It's gluten-free, grain-free, and nut-free. But can you sub it for plain flour? 
Well, sometimes. It is lighter than regular all-purpose flour, and it absorbs more liquid, so you'll have to adjust. Mm -hmm. I think this is a good place to use your weights, not your measurements. For sure. I know you'll soon be wrapping up your tour of the Nordic countries with a visit to Sweden, so I'll tell you now what flowers to look for when you're visiting. Barley and rye have the most history and the longest tradition, and wheat and oats are more recent for them. Speaking of rye, I remember those salted chocolate rye cookies we made back in episode 115. Ah, yes, my first rye dessert. Those were pretty amazing. Switching topics a bit, I do want to give a plug for one of my most memorable trips, and that was a visit to the Mill City Museum in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's built into the ruins of what was once the world's largest flour mill, Mm. and I just learned a ton about the history of flour the day I visited. The mill opened in 1874, and it had its peak year in 1916, producing 49,000 barrels of flour per day. Oh my gosh. I knew Minneapolis was once called the flour capital, and now I know why. I also remember learning that almost all of their sales were from what they called family flour, Mm -hmm. and that was used in home baking, and it was sold in (laughs) 196-pound family barrels. (laughs) And here I am wondering if a five-pound bag is too much. That is obviously back when most baking was done at home before we moved to commercial baking. How things have changed. Yeah. Speaking of flower museums, another place I've learned of is the Flower World Museum in Wittenberg, Germany. This place looks incredible. They have an enormous collection of flower sacks from all around the world. In fact, you can send them your flower sack if you'd like to contribute to the museum. I especially enjoyed the museum's collection of flower quotes from around the world. How about this one from England? Be not a baker if your head be of butter. Slap that on a tea towel and you've got yourself a nice hostess gift. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, we hope you've enjoyed our exploration of flower around the world. If you've got a special type of flower you love or would like to explain the classification system used for the flower in your country, we're all ears. Drop us an email at hosts at preheatedpodcast.com or put a post in our Facebook listeners group. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get the sprinkles on top of this episode. We release new episodes every Monday morning and next week we're finding out if Emmer Soda Bread brought us luck in our kitchens this year. We'll also wrap up our month of flour with some buckwheat thumbprints using not one, not two, but three alt flours. And finally, our ever-popular Globetrotting Gourmet segment returns when Stefan weighs in with a quick report from Sweden. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at PreheatedPod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe. And consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Here's a quick read from our latest review. It came from The Jaded Baker. (laughs) The title is The Best Baking Podcast. Mm. Like spending time in the kitchen with two good friends, baking, learning, and laughing as you go. Andrea and Stefan's friendship and warmth shines through their podcast, and it's an absolute pleasure to be a part of it while listening. Oh, Jaded Baker doesn't sound too jaded to me. That's a lovely review. Jaded. We love that. Oh, (laughs) that's so heartwarming. Thank you. Until next time, I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams.
Preheated is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.